Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. As we mentioned earlier in the service, uh, today is our Commitment Sunday. This is the, the grand finale of our Enter In Generosity campaign. Uh, if you've missed the previous sermons in this series, I would encourage you to get on the podcast and go check those out. Those provide some important context for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, real fast, just to refresh your, your memory, uh, back in week one of the series, we, we started with the question of why do we do an annual generosity campaign at all? What, what is the point of all of this? Uh, we acknowledged that for some of us, the whole idea of a generosity campaign, it can make us skeptical or, or nervous for, for some good reasons. Uh, I pointed out in week one that at Kindred, we have financial structures in place to make sure that our finances are handled properly. Uh, I pointed out that at Kindred Church, we would never, ever teach that God will love you more or bless you more if you give more to the, the church. That is just plain wrong, despite what, sadly, some other churches uh, sometimes teach. Uh, in week one, we, we talked about how money is just a, a sensitive subject for, for many reasons. And uh, I, I tried to emphasize that nothing in this generosity campaign is ever meant to make anybody feel inadequate or, or shamed or, or less than or, or anything like that. This is all only meant to be helpful and, and not at all hurtful. Um, but in week one, we said that despite all of these reasons for, for sensitivity around the subject of, of generosity, nevertheless, this is an important topic to think about uh, because it's part of our created purpose to be generous. We said that God created us human beings in God's image. And part of what that means is that God created us not just to receive God's generosity passively, but to actively participate in it. Uh, then in week two, we talked about how God is the creator of everything that exists, including you and me, and including all of the stuff, all of the resources that we have at our disposal. And part of what that means is that we're not the true owners of what we have, but we're the investors. God gives us resources, not just to take care of ourselves only, um, but so that we can also invest those in ways that God will approve of and, and in things that matter to God. And then last week we, we had the treat, uh, a guest preacher, Pastor Creighton, was, was in talking, to, to genero talking about generosity uh, for us. Well, um, today we're going to do something a, a bit different, and I want to try to keep it pretty practical this morning. Since this is our Commitment Sunday, I want us to think specifically about financial giving to the church, financial giving to the church. And in particular, I want to try to address this question that comes up a good bit. Uh, many people have asked me this. Maybe this is something that, that you've wondered about as well. Sometimes, sometimes people will ask, you know, there are so many great organizations out there in the world on the front lines making a big impact. There's so many wonderful charities and, and nonprofits. So sometimes people wonder, uh, given that, uh, when I think about my financial generosity, why should I prioritize giving to the church over all of these other great organizations that are doing so much good out in the world? Why should I prioritize giving to 
the church. I want to try to address that question in the sermon today. And then towards the end, I want to offer us a helpful, flexible framework that can help each of us in our households to make a good plan for how we can support the church financially. Uh, now, before we, we dig further into that, um, a couple of things that I want to just name here at the, at the front end. Uh, the first is that if you're a visitor with us, if you are brand new to Kindred, we certainly don't expect you to make a financial commitment to support our church in the, the upcoming year. Uh, we're just glad you're here. We hope you keep coming back. We hope that you're going to want to keep being a, a part of, of this wonderful thing that's called Kindred Church. Um, also, uh, for any of you that, that may not be Christians, you know, maybe you're watching this with uh, a family member who, who is a member of Kindred Church, or, or maybe somebody sent you this service and said, you, you got to watch this, um, and you're, you're not a Christian, uh, you're kind of off the hook with all of this. I don't want you to feel like we're trying to hold you to a standard that, that you haven't agreed to. That, that wouldn't be fair. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm really glad that you're with us today, because I hope this is going to give you uh, maybe a new perspective on the church and what it would mean for you to become a Christian and, and to become part of uh, the church. So again, glad you're, glad you're here. All right, so getting into this, this question um, of why should I prioritize financial giving to the church over all the other wonderful organizations that, that are doing so much good in the world? Um, ultimately, it's, it's not a, an either or, but, but why should I prioritize giving to the church? Uh, there's lots of ways that, that we could think about this question, but for our purposes today, I want to lift up one answer for us, and it starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Uh, here's something that I think is really interesting to think about. Uh, have you ever noticed that throughout Jesus's ministry, you know, we believe as Christians that uh, Jesus is God and, and Jesus comes and, and he takes on uh, human flesh like ours and, and he lives and he does ministry and he dies and he rises again. And throughout all of that time, in doing all of that, Jesus only ever starts one new organization. He only ever starts one new organization. And what is that organization? You know, does Jesus start a homeless shelter to care for the poor? Those didn't really exist at that time. Well, no, Jesus doesn't choose to do that. Does Jesus start a hospital to care for the sick and the suffering? Those didn't really exist as we know them now at that time. Well, no, Jesus doesn't choose to do that. Does Jesus start a political organization to lobby the government for better policies? Jesus doesn't do that. Does Jesus start uh, some kind of a, a news service to, to help raise awareness about important social issues? Nope, Jesus doesn't do that. And why not, right? Is, is it because uh, Jesus doesn't care about the poor? Well, that's obviously not true. Jesus spent the majority of his time ministering with the poor. Jesus himself was poor. Uh, was it because Jesus didn't really care that much uh, about the sick and, and suffering? Uh, obviously, that's not true. Jesus was constantly healing people who were sick. That was a major part of his ministry. Uh, was this because Jesus didn't really care about social justice issues? Well, obviously, that's not true. Jesus opposed injustice everywhere he went. These all were things that were deeply, deeply important to Jesus. And yet of all the, the organizations that Jesus could have started, that Jesus could have launched in this world, Jesus chooses only one. Jesus goes all in and he prioritizes the church. Jesus prioritizes the church. Now, if you're like me, 
that begs the question of why, right? Doesn't it make you wonder why does Jesus choose to, to prioritize the church in this singular kind of way? Well, the answer, or at least part of the answer, is that Jesus knows that the impact of the church is exponential. The impact of the church is exponential. Uh, we actually get a glimpse of Jesus' thinking uh, about all of this at the Last Supper. Uh, some of you know the, the story of the, the Last Supper. Um, this is towards the end of Jesus' public ministry years. And Jesus takes his disciples and they travel to the city of Jerusalem. And they go there for the Passover festival. And, and it's a Thursday night. And on this Thursday night, Jesus knows, the disciples don't know yet, but Jesus knows that later that evening, he's going to be arrested and beaten and tortured. And then early the next day, he's going to be put on a cross and put to death. So Jesus knows that, that time is running out. And in that context, Jesus gathers together his disciples for one last meal together, hence the name, Last Supper, uh, this, this Passover meal. And during this meal, Jesus is impressing on his disciples the most important things he wants them to know, the most important things he wants them to remember when he's no longer with them, at least no longer with them in the, the, the way that he had been with them over the past three years. So that means that the Last Supper, it's this climactic scene. Uh, you know, this is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. This is where Jesus gives the disciples bread and wine, and he tells them, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. This is where Jesus gives the disciples what we call the new commandment, where he tells them, love one another as I have loved you. That that's the bottom line of what it means to be the church, uh, that love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. But then after dinner, Jesus says something else. And this is just incredible, and, and unfortunately, this, this often gets overlooked. But after dinner, Jesus looks around at, at all of the disciples sitting there, and Jesus says this. This is John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, I assure you that whoever believes in me, a.k.a. the church, right? Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, will do the works that I do. And then Jesus goes on. He says, in fact, they will do even greater works than these. Jesus is saying that the church will do even greater works than, than I've done. He says, because I'm going to the Father. Now, now, when he said that, I mean, he had said a lot of really powerful, profound things during the, the Last Supper. But when he said that, I imagine the disciples must have like fallen out of their chairs, right? They must have been thinking, wait, Jesus, we are going to do greater works than you've done? I mean, how can that be? Jesus, we've seen the works that you've done. Uh, Jesus, we, we, we've seen you feed thousands of people miraculously, right? We, we've seen you miraculously heal thousands of people who are sick. Jesus, we've seen you courageously oppose injustice in this society in ways nobody had ever done before. The disciples must have been thinking, Jesus, how could we possibly ever do greater works than what you have done? Well, Jesus doesn't try to explain it all to them in that moment. They couldn't have understood. Uh, they would begin to understand later as, as they would go out into the world and, and start being the church. But Jesus knows here Jesus knows that if there is a community of believers, if there is a community that is committed above all else to, to embodying his love and, and sharing his love with the world, 
then the impact of that community is gonna be exponential. Why is that? Because if there's a community that is committed to embodying the love of Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus, that's a community that's gonna inspire people. That's a community that's gonna challenge people. That's a community that's gonna send people out into the world to make a difference, not just in one way, right? Not just in one arena, not just in regard to, to one particular social issue, but in all kinds of different ways. That community is gonna ignite a movement that in turn will ignite so many other movements. You will do greater works even than mine, Jesus says to the disciples. That's astonishing, astonishing thing to say. But you know, fast forward 2,000 years to us, and we're sitting here, and, and looking back, we can see that actually, in so many ways, Jesus was exactly right. Now, it's important to acknowledge, of course, that the church has done a lot of harm in this world. Some of you, I know, have experienced harm from the church, and I'm so sorry for that. Uh, all of us can look back over history and, and point to the examples of, of the church doing in, incredible harm. So often the church falls short of its calling to embody the love of Jesus. But man, when the church gets this right, when the church fulfills that calling the way that it's supposed to, the impact is exponential. Uh, just a few examples, you know, without going in, into too deep of a, a history lesson. Uh, you know, it was people who were inspired and challenged and sent out by the church who ended up inventing what we now call homeless shelters and, and aid agencies to, to care for those in poverty. And the church today is still inspiring, challenging, sending people out to, to support the work of those organizations. Jesus in his time fed thousands of hungry people, but now Jesus's followers through the movement, through the organization that he started, Jesus's followers have fed hundreds of millions. Uh, you know, it was people who were inspired and challenged and, and sent out by the church who invented what we now call hospitals to care for the, the sick and the suffering, and the church is still uh, inspiring and, and challenging and sending people out to support the work of hospitals and medical research and, and medical clinics all around the world. And in his context, Jesus healed thousands of people. But Jesus' followers, through this organization that he created, Jesus' followers have helped now to heal billions of people. Uh, it was people who were inspired and, and, and challenged and sent out by the church who've led civil rights movements and human rights campaigns all around the world. Jesus uh, opposed injustice in his context in, in first century Palestine, but now Jesus' followers, through the organization that he launched, have, have opposed injustice in, in all kinds of different ways and continue to do, do so all around the world. You will do greater works than mine, Jesus says to the church, because your impact will be exponential. Uh, to give a, a very local example of this right here at, at Kindred Church, many of you know that over the past year, we've had a number of opportunities to partner with Urban Ministries of Durham. Urban Ministries is a, a local resource center and, and shelter for those in our area experiencing homelessness and, and poverty. And Urban Ministries was formed uh, by a group of people who were inspired and challenged and, and sent out by their churches. And Kindred Church 
has inspired and challenged and sent many of us out to, to help them in their work at, at Urban Ministries. You know, I can't speak for, for everybody, but you know, thinking of myself and, and our family, uh, over this past year, I'm pretty confident that I would not have taken it upon myself to go to the store and buy some food and cook some food and help arrange for the, the delivery of that food to feed people at, at Urban Ministries of Durham. I probably wouldn't have taken the initiative to do that on my own, but I did it, and, and many of you did as well because Kindred Church inspired and challenged and, and sent me out to do that work. And as a result of our efforts, we were able to provide over 500 dinners to Urban Ministries over this past year. And we can't wait to provide even more over this, this coming year. You will do greater works than mine, Jesus says to the church. Your impact will be exponential. Uh, the church, the church is not always on the, the front lines. Uh, sometimes it is, but, but sometimes it's, it's not. But the church is always challenging, inspiring, sending people to the front lines to make a difference in this world, not just in one way, but in a whole multiplicity of ways. And I think that's one reason. That's one reason why Jesus chose out of all the things that he could have done, out of all the organizations that Jesus could have started, he chose to go all in and to prioritize starting the church. Well, to get back to our, our earlier question that, that many of us have, have often wrestled with of why should I prioritize financial giving to the church over all of these many wonderful uh, organizations that, that are also out there doing good in, in the world. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's not a, an either or. It's, it's not one or the other. We, we, we should do both. Uh, but as we're thinking about why we should prioritize the church, uh, one answer is because we're followers of Jesus. right? And we see so clearly that Jesus prioritize the church. And when we follow his lead, when we invest in the church, it has this incredible ripple effect out into the world. The impact is exponential. The impact is exponential. So in light of all of that, as we reflect on all of that, I want to encourage all of us who consider ourselves a part of Kindred Church. If Kindred is, is your church home, I'd encourage you to join us in uh, being intentional and making a plan for, for how we can support Kindred Church financially. Um, you know, typically, uh, when people give to support the church, people tend to give uh, in a way that I would call like kind of spontaneous, right? People give a little here, a little there as they feel moved, as they see a, a particular need. And, and that's great. Uh, that's certainly how I started giving to the church when I first began to, to support the church financially. Um, but if we're going to be intentional, if we're going to prioritize our support of the church, then part of what that means is that we need to make a plan, right? We need to take a, a step further than spontaneous giving in, and we need to make a plan for how we can support the church uh, financially. That's important. Uh, now, having said that, I know that every single one of us is probably in a, a different place financially. You know, we've, at Kindred, we've got people uh, all over the, the financial map, so to speak. So how can each of us create a, a plan for our household that fits our unique financial situation? It's a, a great question. And uh, I want to offer up uh, quickly a, a very helpful, very practical framework that I think can help each of us and each of our households to, to make that kind of uh, a plan. This is a, a framework that my wife and I have used in planning our own financial support for the church. We've found it to be very helpful. And what I love about this framework is that it's super flexible to, to uh, apply to people with very high income, very low income, and, and anything in between. 
Um, so this framework for making a plan to support the church financially, this is called the three P's of financial generosity, the three P's. If you're a, a note taker type, you may wanna jot these down so you can reflect a little more deeply on them uh, later. But the three P's are this. Number one, priority. Number two, percentage. And number three, progressive. Priority, percentage, progressive. So how does this work? Well, first, we ask ourselves the priority question. And that is, Am I making generosity a priority in my finances? Am I making generosity a, a priority in my finances? You know, when we're in that place where we're giving to the church spontaneously, um, as we feel moved, as we see the church has a, a need, uh, oftentimes what we tend to do is, is we tend to give out of our, our leftovers, right? Um, like we kind of get to the end of the month after all of our needs are taken care of. And, and if we're honest, after a lot of our wants are, are taken care of too. And, and if there's anything left over, then we give uh, out of that. And again, I'm not knocking spontaneous giving. That's a, a great place to start. But if we are going to take that next step of making financial generosity uh, a priority, making a, a plan, then that means being intentional, being proactive and allocating a, a certain amount of money at the beginning of the month or, or at the beginning of the pay period or, or whenever. Uh, again, reflecting, am I making generosity a priority in my finances? That's the first P. Uh, the second P is uh, percentage. Percentage. And, and we ask ourselves the question, uh, what percentage of my income can I give? What percentage of my income can I give? Uh, often when we think about giving to the church, uh, we, we tend to think in terms of fixed dollar amounts. You know, we ask ourselves, uh, what's the amount that, that I can give to, to support the, the church? Uh, the problem with that is that it can be pretty subjective, right? You know, uh, an, an amount that, that one person gives that might feel uh, quite small to, to that person, that same amount might feel huge and, and overwhelming even to uh, another person depending on their, their income levels, right? Uh, and for this reason, scripture teaches us that we should think about our generosity, not in terms of fixed amounts, but in terms of percentages. Scripture teaches we should think about this in terms of uh, percentages. Traditionally, in the church, uh, the goal has been to, to try to give 10%. That's a number that goes all the way back to, to Old Testament times. Uh, my wife and I have, have worked up to giving 10% to the, the church, but I can tell you from experience, if you're new to percentage giving, uh, it's really hard to start with 10%. So uh, if you're new to this, you, you may want to start a bit lower. Maybe it's uh, 2%, 3%, something like that, and, and then you can go from there. Again, not thinking in terms of what's the dollar amount that I can give, but, but what's the percentage that I can give. That's the, the second P. And the third P is progressive. Uh, so we ask ourselves the, the question, am I growing progressively more generous over time? Am I progressing in my generosity? As we've talked about throughout this sermon series, uh, being generous is, is part of our created purpose. It's part of our calling from God. And, and what this means is that over time, we don't want to become less generous, right? And, and if, if we can, we, we don't want to try to stay at the same level of, of generosity, but we want to try to grow more generous when we have the, the opportunity to do that. And so for that reason, uh, it's always good to, to be thinking uh, about, you know, is now the time to, to take a, a new step? Uh, is now the time to increase what I'm giving? Not necessarily in terms of, of dollar amounts, like I said, but, but giving at a, a higher percentage 
uh, am I growing progressively generous uh, over time? Uh, so again, the three Ps, priority, percentage, progressive. Uh, if you are in a particularly like turbulent place financially, this may not be an approach that, that you can take uh, right now. And if that's where you're at, you know, no, no shame about it, truly. But for most of us, uh, most of the time, this is a framework that can help us to, to make a, a good, solid plan for how we can support uh, our, our church. Uh, in the scripture passage that Manoka read to us uh, a few minutes ago, Manoka read to us from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today, and, and in that passage, it's got a very powerful message for us. It says you, talking to the, to the church, you and me, uh, it says you are the body of Christ. And then it says each one of you is a member of it. What that means is that we each have a part to play. Right? We each have a role in the mission of the church. And I hope it goes without saying that our role in the church goes far beyond supporting the church financially. It includes showing up. Uh, it includes volunteering. It includes praying for the church and, and inviting others to come and, and check out our, our church. All of that. But it also includes supporting the church financially as we're able. And uh, if, if we can each make a plan for that, then we'll be able to, to fully fund our vision and, and the sky is the limit on what we can accomplish together. You know, just uh, think about what we got coming up in this year ahead of us. We finally have a place where we can launch weekly in-person worship. And that's going to allow us to reach more people than ever before. That's going to mean more people in our small groups ministry, uh, expanding our children's ministry, expanding our, our missions ministry, and, and touching so many more lives as a result. And that matters because as we all know, there are people all around us who need an inclusive, life-giving church like Kindred in their lives, just like you and I need this life-giving church in our lives. Uh, so with your support, and with mine, we can keep being the body of Christ together. We can keep sharing the love of Jesus together. And together, we can continue to, to keep growing this exponential impact of Kindred Church. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Kindred Church Podcast. If this episode was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.